Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop, and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. Thank you very much for joining me and my guest today on yet another great show. Last week, we talked to David Roddenberry. Uh, we talked to him about his breakthrough approach to weight management, an approach where he leveraged clinical research on obesity, human cognition, decision-making, behavioral economics to create this very comprehensive program that allows people to compete with themselves and others and to wager bets against a weight loss target. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, you must. And not because you want to lose weight, but because I guarantee that in listening to David, you will pick up some information or make some connection that will make you uh, become a better decision maker. Because this is how our brains operate. We, uh, Our brain is like an associative machine. So Every information, every experience that we have throughout our lives will somehow uh, at some point play into decisions uh, you make because there will be some associations and connections uh, made. And this is why I created this show, to actually give you the opportunity to learn new things from my amazing guests and also be able at some point in time to, to use that information and make better decisions yourself. So today, my guest is Phil Ash, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Baton Investing, which is setting a new standard of transparency and performance for investing companies, as well as providing, on a subscription basis, their proprietary stock picking system that has beaten the market by roughly 150% since 2003, throughout all this um, time of uncertainty. Uh, and this is for do-it-yourself investors who need high returns but don't have the time or inclination to spend on research and trading, don't want to trust a robo-advisor for unimpressive results, and don't want to pay exorbitant fees for financial advisors where they'll be relegated into a one-size-fits-all approach. Welcome to the show, Phil. I'm thrilled to have you here today. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me, Laura. It, it's a pleasure, and, and especially uh, you and I talked offline. It's a uh, it's a time of uh, high uncertainty for everyone with what's happening in the markets, and and uh, you will um, you will tell us more about it. And especially because uh, we know in the developed world, whether we're in the U.S., Canada, or elsewhere, we have come to accept that. For example, retirement is not something that the government will uh, will secure for, or um, that the best 
best way to uh, to manage our wealth and and our money is to really become more aware and uh, uh, to do make decisions better decisions about how we do that. Uh, so obviously, having certain knowledge around investment and return on investment is a necessary skill set. And I admitted to you that I know very little about uh, it because I've never been in a situation or felt comfortable to be in the situation, but I'm sure I'll feel differently after today. How did you become involved in this field in the first place? Yeah, so like many people, I uh, started dabbling with investing uh, in my uh, college years, and uh, at that time, you know, what I would do with most of my money, other than the, uh, the usual college activities, would, uh, would be to uh, go bet on football games or go to Las Vegas or play the Powerball. And that was kind of uh, stocks, investing in stocks kind of fell in that same category for me. It was almost like gambling. It was, it was very exciting. It wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't necessarily long-term investing with a long-term objective. So that, that's where I got my start with investing, and that, as you can imagine, didn't work out too well. Um, but I remained a hobbyist investor for about a decade. I began to read some books about investing and gain some knowledge and uh, got a little bit better at it. And then, after uh, a variety of career moves, I ended up at an investment research firm in 2001 uh, by the name of Investing Daily, which I now lead. And... We're focused on primarily providing income-oriented advice for retirees and, and folks who are in their 60s, 70s, and older. And that uh, it's great advice that we put out, and I was using some of it for myself, but frankly, it wasn't the best fit for me. And I'm Generation X. My brother is uh, a millennial, and we just kind of banged our heads together and and we, we weren't necessarily happy with our investment returns. I was uh, still a DIY investor, uh, but wasn't getting the returns I wanted because, I, as I said, I was kind of using this uh, income-oriented advice for retirees just because it, it it's what was closest to me at the time. And uh, my brother was paying a financial advisor 1.5% or 2% a year uh, basically to get mediocre results, um, you know, basically S&P 500 uh, average results uh, minus the fees. And uh, I can elaborate on, on that cost structure later if you wish. Um, and so we put our heads together and we said we need to develop a system that's going to be uh, more suitable for our demographic and uh, the financial objectives that we're trying to attain and the, uh, the lifestyle that we lead and so forth. And, and for both of us, uh, you know, money was really just a means to an end. We, we, we weren't, uh, you know, looking to become billionaires, but, you know, we wanted to be able to have a comfortable life, not have the stress uh, that, that um, money can introduce to your life if you don't have enough of it and so forth. So that's when we, uh, we launched Baton Investing in 2014, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's not, uh, I wouldn't say that, uh, well, I, I am not the guy picking the stocks. That's not my uh, expertise. So um, basically what I, what I have been good at is going out and finding people who are good at picking stocks and have a good investing system. And that's what we did uh, with Baton Investing. 
that's amazing to me and very very inspiring and of course to many entrepreneurs out there I think it's a it's a great lesson in what you were saying because uh, there is especially being an entrepreneur uh, having uh, to rely on yourself uh, on a lot of the things uh, there is an um, expectation for many people that one needs to know everything in fact I'm quite surprised since I've started my own company how many entrepreneurs I talked to who have succeeded in fields where they themselves did not necessarily have the key expertise, but they had other skill sets that allowed them to, you know, or even the vision that allowed them to um, uh, to create a very successful organization, a very successful product. So let me just read a few highlights from your career so our listeners get a better sense for who you are and what you've done to date. Um, you started as a tax accountant with KPMG, then helped launch the first multinational advertising agency in Ukraine, of all places, then worked in Latin America as a financial analyst for a Fortune 500 company before joining Investing Daily, the research firm you currently lead and you mention. And then you launched Batten Investing along with your brother and an MIT computer scientist. At the heart of Batten is a computer algorithm that picks winning stocks. And you did tell me, uh, and thank you, and I would love to pick it up in a Second segment about the cost structure of uh, of investing and how um, financial advisors do it. It's very timely for me um, as well. But I know that other people will benefit from it because there's always this uh, lack of clarity of how things are being charged or how they're being uh, uh, billed when you work with a financial advisors versus coming to someone like your organization. So. How did you come to the conclusion that you need to develop an algorithm, that it was different from what you experienced before? Yeah, I think at the, the heart of the problem for most investors and certainly myself is simply that we're emotional creatures. And as a result, you know, there's the classic investing uh, mistake uh, which, which gets mocked, but, but is absolutely reality, is that almost everybody has a tendency to buy high and sell low, right? And, and this market conditions that we're in right now are, are another perfect example. Uh, well, actually, backing up to the Great Recession of uh, 2008-09, when everybody, not everybody, you know, most people lost a ton of money, some people upwards of 50%, which was the, you know, the decline in the S&P 500 at that time from, from peak to, uh, to trough. Uh, so many people cashed out either on the way down or at the very bottom, lost uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50%, and were so terrified to get back into the market that they just sat on their money for years and missed out on what's turned out to be uh, a seven-year bull market, six-year bull market. And that's just, uh, that's just the kind of fear that people can uh, get wrapped up in around investing, and, and it was impacting my return. So I said, you know, I need to uh, have a very strict set of rules uh, or a system that is completely emotion-free, that no matter what goes on out in the marketplace, I'm not going to panic and, and cause myself those usual 
you know, negative situations. Because the reality is, if you, everybody thinks of the stock market as this, this very risky game. And it can be if you're jumping in and out, trying to time the market, if you're not committed to the long term, if you're overexposed uh, by having all of your money in the stock market or uh, not having a, a rainy day fund so that if you do need to, uh, you know, fix the roof on your house or uh, pay for college or whatever it may be, um, that you have to pull money out at the wrong time. Because if you look at the long-term averages of the stock market, and, and I'm speaking of the U.S. markets here, um, you have, if you pick any 10-year period over, um, over the last century, essentially, you will see that the S&P 500 uh, has about a 9% average annual return. And that's regardless of whether that's been kind of uh, an easy period or whether there's been some huge peaks and valleys. So that's why we wanted to create an, an emotion-free system. And that's what we did where we went out and we found this MIT uh, software engineer uh, who had a track record with his system going back to 2003, and um, uh, it allowed us to take our emotions out of the game. It, I'm absolutely fascinated because, you know, you and I talked before the show, uh, how relevant is your topic to decision making? And and you couldn't be describing it uh, better. Why did I create a mechanism that supports people's decision making? No matter how smart or how much we know about a topic or how many times we've done it before, there are biases in how we make decisions. And, and those biases either be uh, cognitive that we don't even know we have them we have certain tendencies and preferences or our emotions come come in the way it's interesting you're saying about people's fear uh, confidence is um, uh, one of the emotions that uh, some of the investors the professional investors um, uh, have in themselves and how they pick stocks uh, I've been doing some reading as part of the decision-making literature and as a result professional investors are no better sometimes at picking stocks than people who do it for the first time because this overconfidence effect. So it's amazing um, your your angle, and I'm very fascinated to learn more. What did you take uh, into account when creating it? How did the algorithm get created in the first place? Sure. So you've talked about uh, entrepreneurism a little bit previously, which is I, I consider myself to be an intrapreneur more so than an entrepreneur. Um, I've uh, I've been a, I've been uh, a part of starting many businesses. I just haven't uh, had to actually put uh, my own skin in the game, which uh, I consider to be the true test of an entrepreneur. But um, but anyway, I uh, in creating Baton Investing, uh, basically I had a problem and I was looking to create a solution. And as I was doing that, I ran across another guy who had a problem and created an amazing solution. And his name is John Reese, and this guy is uh, this guy's ten times smarter than I could ever hope to be. And he so he, basically, when he was sixteen years old, he he wrote a letter to MIT and said, "I'm kind of bored with high school. Do you mind if I come, you know, hang out in your computer lab or whatever?" And so anyway, he got into MIT at sixteen years old, and he went on to uh, he was working in their artificial intelligence 
laboratory or whatever it was was called. Uh, he's about uh, sixty years old. I'm going to guess. So, um, you know, he was he was in college doing this at the time before any of us owned computers at home. Uh, he really was a pioneer in in this uh, sector, and. So he graduated from there. He started up a computer networking company, and he made several million dollars early on and then started investing for the first time in his life and started learning all the kind of the hard lessons that beginning do-it-yourself investors learn uh, the hard way, so to speak. And after losing a bunch of money, he basically stepped back and said, why should I be trying to reinvent the wheel here when there have been so many successful investors before me? like, you know, Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch and James O'Shaughnessy and, and Benjamin Graham and so forth. So he basically created an artificial intelligence model that replicates the precise calculations that 10 of the greatest investors of all time uh, do when picking stocks. And this is a range of value-oriented investors and growth investors and combinations thereof. So he created the system. He launched it in 2003, uh, started using it for his uh, high net worth money management clients, and uh, he even has an ETF that he's launched around this strategy uh, in the past year. And uh, basically since 2003, it's uh, delivered uh, 300% returns, while the S&P 500 has returned 150%. And how did you two become involved in uh, to create the Baton Investment? I just found uh, John online and uh, and reached out to him, and uh, we, we started the conversation. And what we were trying to do, uh, the problem we were trying to solve for millennial and Gen X investors, uh, just very much resonated with with the path he had taken in life. So uh, yeah, he was more than happy to to help us uh, leverage his system to put it in front of more people. Uh, but but his system is complicated. And generally, he executes, he and his team executed uh, on behalf of their high net worth money management clients. So what we did is we uh, simplified it. We put it into an app, uh, and which is available on the uh, the, the Apple or the uh, the Google Store. And the user experience now is literally you push three buttons and a login once a month and you rebalance your whole portfolio in line with our model portfolio, and you're done with your investing for the month. Uh, go back living your life. A month later, you'll get another push notification on your phone, three buttons and a login. Again, you're done with your investing for the month. Amazing. Are you saying that the app that you created has the same uh, behind it, has the uh, complexity that John Reese's model um, actually has? Absolutely. And, uh, and there's some other cool features, like, uh, for example, on the app, you can go and enter the stock ticker symbol for any stock you want, and we'll give you the uh, ratings from each of our 10 guru models. So you can, think, you can see, uh, you know, if you want to buy Apple stock, you can see what Warren Buffett thinks of Apple stock now, uh, you know, based on the calculations that he does when picking a stock. What happens when, um, I mean, are there any situations where people look for uh, companies that are not part of your model? What kind of investing stocks do you have? Uh, this is coming from someone like me who knows very little, in fact, nothing about the um, 
investing? Sure. There are uh, over 6,000 stocks that uh, are run through uh, the Baton and John Reese's model every day. So there are some penny stocks that uh, certainly would not come up in our system, but we're not advocating uh, investing in stocks that are under $5. Um, having said that, the way the, uh, the way the market has beaten down all stocks, there are some under $5 stocks that would show up. But, you know, we, we, we cover the waterfront, essentially. Tell us more about how the how would you engage with your clients, and and in your reference that Gen X is your main client based, is that right? Yeah, that's right. We're um, but it, but it's interesting. We have uh, I would say kind of two two classes or categories of of subscribers. Um, you know, again, we are we're we're just a nineteen dollar a month subscription service uh, as opposed to you know a big. Uh, money manager who's going to want to charge you 1% to 2% of your assets every year. Um, but anyway, we have two categories of users we find. One is kind of millennials and Gen X who are looking for uh, to grow their um, all of their assets over the long term. And, then, and those we find are generally the more hands-off or um, kind of... Uh, um, just passive investors, if you will. And then we've got the other group of people, which is who we serve with our other business, Investing Daily, who are what I call the hobbyist investors, who may be retirees but really enjoy investing. And we find a lot of them will use Baton, not for their entire portfolio, but just for a sliver of it to uh, just to let them uh, have a little... Uh, you know, more aggressive growth-oriented approach with some of their money. Are your clients able to decide the approach, whether it's uh, aggressive or not aggressive? Tell us more about how the system works. First of all, we tell prospective members that that our system is not for everyone. You know, we're not a, we're not a one-size-fits-all, and uh, you know, of course, any any system that or person that tells you that they can, you know, manage anybody's money and they're right for everybody is, you know, probably just mediocre for everybody. So you really need to, when, when picking your investing strategy, uh, whether it be Baton or, or anybody else, you, you need to determine if it's a good fit for you. So we run uh, prospective clients or subscribers through a simple three-question assessment tool. And based on that, we will recommend one of our four portfolios to them. And so we have three portfolios, which are more, which are a short-term trading model. So the stocks turn over every two to three months because that's what's been effective for John Reese over the past uh, 13 years. And then we have a fourth portfolio, which is for those who are more accustomed to buy and hold investing, which has holding periods of the stocks for for at least a year generally, which is going to be. Uh, you know, better for, for people who, who don't like to turn over their stocks. Maybe it's because of uh, the transaction costs involved or the tax ramifications uh, or, or simply they just are accustomed to not, not buying and selling stocks that frequently. Is there a minimum amount of investment that you uh, would expect the, the clients to make or do you recommend it? We don't have an actual minimum investment that is that is necessary. Again, we're just a you know a monthly subscription service, uh, so you can get started with as little as two hundred and fifty dollars if you want. However, what we tell people is 
based on the $19 a month fee that we charge, that the minimum amount of money that makes sense on a fee basis is $10,000 a year. And then if you throw in brokerage fees, uh, we say that $16,000 a year is the minimum makes sense. We've partnered with two uh, brokerage firms, or I should say we recommend two brokerage firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have a financial interest with either of them. Uh, one of so t- they're called uh, Bata- uh, Folio F O L I O Investing and Motif M O T I F Investing, and they're really cool brokerage firms that that basically allow this push button experience that I was talking about before, whereby mm-hmm. you can uh, you go and you push a few buttons and log in, and that allows your personal brokerage account to mirror our model portfolios. So just to be clear. We don't actually take investors' money and and manage their accounts for them. Rather, we put out the advice that anybody can use to buy and sell stocks within their own brokerage account that they control. I understand. So you were talking earlier about uh, giving more detail around the the fee structure of um, how investments are being uh, uh, made and and how do you pay the brokerage. Can you um, elaborate on that, please? So a typical money manager, financial advisor is going to charge anywhere from probably three-quarters of a percent to two percent. Uh, based on how much money you have, uh, you've given them to manage. Now, the reality is, if you have very limited funds, let's say, um, well, under a quarter million dollars, certainly, but even under a hundred thousand dollars, very few financial advisors who are actually worth their salt are even going to bother to call you back, right? They they can't make any money on your account, so you're kind of uh, you know left uh, out there on your own. What has filled that void in a very interesting way over the last few years is something called robo-advisors. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them. There's no, I'm not. Some, yeah, some of the big brands, that they're all venture capital-backed, and they do a lot of advertising. Uh, you may have heard of Betterment or Wealthfront or Personal yeah. Capital. What they have done is they've done a great job of bringing financial advisor fees from 2% down to 0.2%. So that's a great win for consumers and investors. However, what they haven't done is they have not improved on the mediocre returns that most people are getting from a financial advisor if you have, let's say, under a million dollars. So with the typical financial advisor, if you have under a million dollars, they're most likely going to just put you into their programmed uh, set of ETFs and uh, mutual funds rather than being able to spend the time, you know, selecting individual stocks for you or somehow improving your returns to beat the market. And this is all based on something called the efficient frontier and modern portfolio theory, which which, uh, I won't go into, but um, it's basically a methodology that almost all financial advisors use these days. So when you have your money with a robo-advisor or a financial advisor, in most cases, your money is going to be invested the exact same way as everybody else's, which means that everybody is moving in lockstep. And that's why you see when the market crashes like it has recently that all stocks kind of go down in uh, together. You know, there's very few stocks that are kind of sticking out from the herd 
because everybody is invested in almost all stocks. You know, once you buy an S&P 500 mutual fund and three or four other mutual funds, which are, you know, say you have a small cap fund and a mid cap fund and a large cap fund, international, et cetera, you start to own almost every stock that is out there. So all you're doing is moving in tandem with the market minus the fees that you are paying to that financial advisor. So if the stock market is going to make 6% in any given year, most investors are only going to make, say, 3 or 4%. Very interesting. And are you saying that, and I know that your results have been amazing uh, with the with the system, but uh, are you saying that through using your system, they will be using different, uh, they will be picking different stocks than uh, the, the rest of the market? You know, I'm very curious, you, you talked about moving in tandem with the market. How would working with you um, be any different? And in fact, what has allowed you to have this success that you have, and please share it with us because it's very worthwhile. Sure. So at the heart of our uh, methodology, or John Reese's methodology really, is the basic belief that the uh, conventional wisdom of diversification that all of us are taught uh, should be a cornerstone of our investing philosophy is wrong or at least wrong in the way that it is being uh, communicated. And so when you hear diversification, when, when most people do, what they, they assume that means and what they, they go do in practice is they buy a lot of different stocks so that when some of them are down, others will be up. It provides a safety net. But, you know, as I said, the reality is most stocks just kind of rise and fall with the stock market these days. So... What John Reese did and, uh, is he said, I'm going to put together only a 10-stock portfolio. Now, it's higher risk, right, because those 10 stocks could turn out to be, uh, you know, winners or, or dogs. And uh, as a result, like in this, in this past year, we underperformed the stock market uh, because the 10 stocks we had at any given time uh, turned out to be bad ones. And that's, you know, if you look at our returns every we have, we have our returns for every year, really every month for the past uh, uh, 13 years uh, available on our website because we believe in complete transparency, the, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, so instead of diversifying across thousands of stocks like most people do, we say invest in just a 10-stock portfolio and give yourself safety net in another way, and we call it a two-bucket strategy. And this is not something we created. This is something uh, uh, many people advocate as well outside of kind of the mainstream financial advisor community is what you need is a a, uh, emergency bucket of cash. And depending on your age, your employment situation, your risk tolerance and so forth, you're going to want anywhere from five months five years of cash in that emergency bucket. Your other bucket should simply be 100% in the stock market or or other investments you may have, like real estate or whatever, should be fully invested at all times. And what that emergency bucket allows you to do is not panic and have to uh, cash out your long-term investments at the wrong time, such as when the market has just crashed. 
Very interesting. And you were saying that you don't actually invest uh, um, uh, people's money. You you actually um, operate as an um, add-on or a you know kind of a steroid to how the the uh, their uh, brokerage operates. Is that my correct understanding? Like they already people have already uh, have their money invested, and then by using the your uh, your system, they can make better decisions whether those were the right ones in the first place and how to move it. Am, is my understanding correct? Yeah, that's correct. You you would maintain control of your own money in your own account. And having spoken with plenty of Baton uh, subscribers, uh, some people follow our advice literally. And others people kind of uh, you know pick and choose and then add their own uh, stocks to that. What I uh, I don't know if you've uh, uh, come across that feedback in the past. I, I'm very impressed with your um, uh, desire to share information. Like there's there's an educator there inside you, and I know having read your press releases that there's a lot of thought leadership and good thinking that you put out for people. And you talked about uh, the insights that um, shocking investment mistakes that that people make. So what are those mistakes? One of the biggest mistakes, uh, which sounds so obvious, is that most people don't even know what their goal is when they're investing. So are you you trying to make a million dollars, which of course, you know, sounded like a, a lot of money at one point. Um, or are you trying to make $5 million? And the only way to know that is to actually do a calculation, and there's hundreds of online calculators that people can use. Uh, you know, go just to a, an online search for a retirement calculator, and you, you'll find hundreds of them. Batominvesting.com has one on our site as well. And the assumptions vary, but they're, they're all similar. You know, I, I'd recommend you go do, use three or four calculators, and you'll see a range but you got to find out how much you actually need to save for your retirement. Otherwise, you're just you're flying blind, right? And as part of that calculation, what you will see is the average annual rate of return that you need in order to hit your goal. And what we tell people is if you are, if, if that calculation tells you that you need 9% or less to hit your retirement goal, and 9%, again, is the average long-term annual return of the S&P 500, the broader stock market, if you will. If you need 9% or less, why monkey around with trying to use baton investing, for example, or any other uh, system that's going to be more aggressive or try to over-diversify and give yourself the safety of, you know, tons of different mutual funds. Just have the two-bucket strategy whereby you've got your emergency cash in one bucket and then you've got your long-term money invested very simply in just the S&P 500. Very, very interesting. I'm going to have to listen to your show several times to make a decision. What uh, you were talking about calculating uh, what uh, people want to achieve for their retirement. What would you recommend to someone who's actually right now at the point of retirement and, you know, they've had uh, their own organization making the investments, as you know, not very, their pension plan, uh, those were not very well invested. Uh, what would you recommend? Where would they start? So 
they are at the retirement point, what should they do with their retirement money? Well, so I'll say first of all, while obviously we put out investment advice and, and we help people grow their money, the most important factors in growing a large retirement nest egg are to simply make more money from your um, employment or um, or by saving money because, of course, uh, uh, you know, a, a dollar saved goes right to your bottom line, whereas a dollar made, you got to pay taxes and all that. Um, so, you know, there's no magic bullet for people who are, are hitting their retirement years and don't have enough money saved up. But that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, water over the dam at that point. If you have saved up enough money and you are, uh, well, let's, let's say you have made enough, you're going into retirement with enough money to, uh, that, that matches the, uh, the calculation that we talked about a moment ago. Mm-hmm. If you have enough money already, then I would say just go very conservative with your investment. You really just want to outpace inflation so that your purchasing power uh, remains strong in your retirement years. If you do not have not saved enough money going to retirement, again, relative to the goal that you've calculated, then you've got to stay aggressive with a portion of your money. So let's say your rainy day bucket, maybe it's not five years now, maybe it's 10 years of of super safe uh, treasury bills and, and cash-like instruments that you're in. Um, but if you go into retirement at 65 years old, I, I don't know about you, but my grandmother's 95 years old so uh, uh, and, and still doing well. So I'm expecting that I'm going to need retirement funds for 30 years of retirement. So to just you know hit 65 and put all your money into a very conservative investment um, that's going to be a problem for a lot of people if they have not already secured their nest egg. Of course, I talk to a lot of people uh, about that, and that's a concern uh, too, a serious concern. Uh, you talked about um, uh, diversifying. Uh, what other um, mistakes, shocking investment mistakes people make? And is that something that's going to be, I know you're writing a book at the moment. Is that going to be in your book as well? Yeah, we'll certainly uh, we'll cover the the investing mistakes uh, that people are making. Um, you know, it's in in addition to the goal setting and the um, uh, and, and picking out the uh, you know the appropriate strategy for you. I think what I touched on before about the um, diversification and the emotional uh, reactions that people have to the stock market uh, when it's going down, in particular, although people can get overly giddy on the way up as well. Um, you know, those are the, those are the primary mistakes. The uh, in terms of the book, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm taking kind of uh, an interesting tack with the book we're putting out, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm still developing a lot of material around it. But but as a uh, an entrepreneur uh, or as an entrepreneur, as I say, and and spending a lot of time with entrepreneurs, um, I, I'm I'm so impressed by the the mindset that entrepreneurs have, which which makes uh, so many of them successful. And I started drawing parallels between that and investing. And so, you know, we've got a couple of key points around that. And one is simply that how uh, determined entrepreneurs are. You know, oftentimes they're like John Reese was, and we were with Baton Investing. We identified a problem, and we went out to develop a solution. And... You know, many entrepreneurs, they will face, they, they will absolutely face 
a lot of hurdles and challenges in the in the in the early years, and the desire to, to or the call to give up and go pursue something else can be so strong. Yet uh, entrepreneurs just have this amazing sense of determination, and they just stick with it. Um, so that's one of the uh, the first points around uh, kind of parallels between entrepreneurism and successful investing is stick with your strategy. I feel very inspired by that. It's very interesting because last week I talked to David Roddenberry and, and I was just asking the same question, you know, uh, having myself uh, come to a point where I'm thinking, I, what do I do? Because it's somewhat harder than I would have expected. But um, you're absolutely right. You have to face those and uh, believe in what you're doing um, enough to keep going even or especially when it's tough. So what other traits do you believe or you've seen in entrepreneurs that uh, uh, resemble behavior in investing? I'll run through them uh, quickly. And uh, yeah, just jump jump in if you want to uh, comment on any of them. So the second one is is risk-taking. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs, they, they generally, they don't, they don't just sit at the blackjack table in Las Vegas. They take controlled, measured risks uh, where the risk-reward ratio is in their favor. So that's, that's important. Uh, confidence is the third one. And I think confidence comes into play in situations like we have today where the market is crashing. And if you have a system that you believe in, uh, you're going to have the confidence to stick with it instead of letting your, uh, you know, reptilian brain uh, kick in and have this kind of, you know, fight-or-flight reaction, um, and, and you're going to avoid selling low. So that's very important. Then we've got um, adaptability is number four. This is, you know, there's, there's a very high correlation between entrepreneurs and ADD, uh, you know, chasing shiny objects. and. Yeah. I think I think for an entrepreneur or anybody who kind of has you know similar uh, characteristics, I think you have to recognize that in yourself and early and say you know what buy and hold uh, you know buying and holding stocks for the long term that might be a good strategy for someone who starts with enough money in their twenties and sticks with it. But I know myself well enough that I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to panic. I'm going to get bored. Whatever it may be, and I'm going to turn over my stock. If you can recognize that early on, then go find a stock investing system that kind of caters to that mindset. So that's what we've done with Baton. Uh, the fifth one is passion. Uh, entrepreneurs get really passionate about whatever endeavor it is that they're taking on. If you recognize that you are that sort of person who will make passionate decisions, that's a great time to... Um, to uh, leverage an emotion-free system that's basically going to keep your head out of the game and, and keep you from making bad investment decisions. And number six, money mastery. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who get into their business because they were an artist or uh, you know, a writer or uh, had some sort of uh, you know, particular product uh, knowledge or interest but didn't know the first thing about spreadsheets or financial statements or what have you. But even those entrepreneurs who I've met over the years, if they've been in business for, for more than a few years, which means they've kind of survived the first few years, they force themselves to learn about financial money management. It's, it's an absolute necessity. So if you want to invest like an entrepreneur, as much as you may hate financial statements and, and talk about you know, money, 
you got to force yourself to learn, uh, you know, bare minimum about it. Are you talking about me, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't known each other that long, but uh, I can sense in your voice that perhaps you have uh, some trepidation around the, around the financial statements. Absolutely. Uh, and then seven is vision, which which you clearly have for your your podcast and your business is uh, again set a clear goal. You know, don't just be investing for investing's sake. You have to know what you're 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 aiming for. And uh, if you're underperforming, you got to look for a solution to that problem. Number eight is uh, kind of networking or leveraging the knowledge of others. And that's exactly what John Reese did and we're doing with Baton. Instead of trying to recreate the wheel, um, we're, we're leveraging the investment calculations of 10 of these great investors who came before us. Uh, you know, much like Steve Jobs didn't, uh, you know, necessarily invent a lot of the things um, – uh, or the things that he and Apple invented weren't original ideas. They were building on on other things uh, that, that were out there in the marketplace that they just improved upon. And then number nine is, is simply lifelong learning. Uh, you know, the, I mentioned robo-advisors have come on in the last few years. You know, ETFs are only uh, a decade or so old. There's, there's all sorts of new mechanisms uh, uh, for investing coming online. Another broker that I love is called Robinhood, which is a completely free broker. Um, so there's always these innovations happening. So if you want to be good at investing, you got to at least read about it and pay attention to it a little bit every once in a while to make sure you're not missing out on something. You know, Phil, I, I read a lot of lists of what does it take to be a successful uh, entrepreneur and all sorts of criteria and traits. And uh, because I, I, because of the decision maker, the psychology background, the leadership, you know, I, I keep thinking not quite because if they don't have that like passion seems to be a, a big one for people to you need passion. Yes, you do. But you need a lot more. I loved your your um, your press release when I read it, and that's why I wanted to to talk to you on the radio because I think that you captured so many things and you liken them to to investing, but it, it's actually um, probably the the best uh, uh, classification. No, I'll say it. It is the best classification I've seen in terms of uh, what would entrepreneur need to be uh, successful because it covers so many different aspects. Point out to people if they're looking to learn about investing, what would they need to do? Your top advice. Go online, find a retirement calculator, do several of them and figure out how much money you actually need to save. What is your goal? As part of that process, uh, the calculator will tell you what an average annual rate of return you need to hit your goal. What you then need to do is go back and look at your brokerage statements from the last decade, if you can, um, so that you're including some bear markets in there as well, and figure out what your actual cash-on-cash cash investment performance has been. Don't just look at the top of your statement where you know the broker might calculate it for you, but actually look at how much money you had at the beginning of the year, plus any withdrawals that you had, minus any deposits that you made, uh, and then look at your ending cash and see how did your uh, performance uh, change over the year. It has come to the end. I knew that we're going to have a great conversation that never fits into the time. So I hope you had a great time. I certainly did. I'll be listening to the show over and over. And everyone out there, have a great week. Um, thank you very much, Phil. Thanks so much, Lara. My pleasure. <music>
We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in, because there's more.